It is wonderful to be up here. I appreciate what your pastor had to say and my friend Brother Roger had to say. Uh, I don't know that it's all of that. And if it is that to them, then thank the Lord for all of that. But I really do appreciate being here, and I enjoy being here. I want to talk to you about something tonight. I hope and pray, you know, sometimes when you go to a revival meeting that you get kind of stuck in a mindset of, you know, you're going to get a message a certain way, and you're going to get things a certain way, instead of saying, Lord, you know, I don't know what I actually need, but I know you know what I need. And sometimes you come to a church service and you find what you need in the oddest places. Sometimes it can actually be somebody talking to you uh, out front before you even walk in here. And sometimes it can be in the message. But here's the question you have to ask yourself. Have you made preparation for it? I know that when I was in school, I had a little bit of school coming up and several hundred hours of, of extra schools that they sent me to when I used to do previously And then they would always say that there was a test, but they rarely gave us pop test at that particular level. What they did was give us time to prepare. And I find that sometimes we wait until tragedy strikes before we start making preparation. And what I suggest is, is that sometimes the best decisions are made when there's not the pressure of tragedy and there's not difficulties and problems on the horizon. But if you go ahead and prepare for it now, for instance, if you're not saved, besides being an idiot, you have an opportunity to fix that now. You need to be saved. You don't need to wait until, well, maybe I'll be dying at the last minute and I'll go ahead and accept the Lord. And then at that particular moment, yeah, but you're making a lot of ifs in there. And there's a lot of things that that are variables that could change. Like you could die instantaneously and get unconscious and never have another chance to get saved. Then you're in hell and then there's no backing up from that at all. And whether you then know the absolute truth or not, guess what happens? You're still in hell and you're still burning and you don't get a chance. So I suggest that you make preparations for that place now, right? That's a pretty good idea, right? Okay, just checking. I'm going to like pick on you. If you don't shake your head, I'm going to shake you, okay? So, so, so here's the thing. So then, you know, let's talk about for just a moment or two, let's talk about the judgment seat of Christ. I mean, there's a lot of things that are mentioned about the judgment seat of Christ in Romans chapter 14 and 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, and a couple other places where it's sort of mentioned. But one of the things that he mentions about Onesiphorus is he says, listen, Lord, I pray that you'll have Paul talking, have mercy on him in that day. Uh, and, and what you look back, what did he do? He was just a blessing to other people, but something happens at the judgment seat that instructs us to say, we remind people to live right and do right after they're saved because of the terror of the Lord. That must be something pretty bad. That's not like many commentators try to tell you, oh, that means we're to warn people about going to hell. No, the context of that whole thing has to do with the judgment seat. So that means that after we're saved, would you agree with me, just for the sake of setting this thing up, that there needs to be some preparation for the judgment seat? Fair statement? I mean, think about this for just a minute. What's the point of living right and doing right and acting right if there's not a reward for it? And if everybody's just the same once you get that, well, then why come to church, read your Bible, pray, witness, and other that, other than you don't want to see people go to hell? But have you ever paused to think for a moment or two, why do I go to church? I mean, listen, you had three services yesterday. You have a great pastor, a great preacher, but you had three services yesterday. And if you come here this week, you're going to get four more. That's seven. Then you get two days off. Then you get three more services. You must be nuts or something. Or maybe you're a cult. Maybe that's what the deal is. <laughs> but, but, but here's what happens. You ever ask yourself, why do I do that? You're not trying to save yourself. You're already saved, right? Do you ever ask yourself what it is about being under conviction of the Holy Spirit and why you go to the altar to get some things right or why you go to the altar to ask the Lord to help you with something or why you try to go to the altar to try to find out what God's will is? Have you ever paused for a minute and say, well, why do I do that? Well, God must be real to you. And if he's not real to you, then there's no point in us doing what we're doing. It's not about living a better life. You can do that without church. The misconception that many people have about the Bible is, is that the Bible is written in such a fashion just to develop us to have some kind of a moral turpitude about us or a moral background or a moral compass, however you want to call that, to just help us to live right and be better people and have a better community. That's not why the Bible's written at all. The Bible is written to instruct you that after you're saved, the majority of that Bible is written to you after you're saved on what you ought to be doing to prepare for where it is that you're going. 
Many people don't think about that until it's too late and now they're there and I don't know how the thing's going to work out, but I get to thinking in my mind's eye, the way things look is that when we appear at the judgment seat of Christ, it looks like that if there's some unconfessed sin or some things that haven't been worked out, that although we can't pay for those sins, it looks like the Lord calls those things to remembrance. Maybe that's the terror of the Lord. And so, yes, what I do, I try to encourage people to keep short accounts. And the reason we need to have short accounts is you never know when tragedy might strike. When tragedy strikes, that's not the time to try to clear the deck. Ask the Lord to forgive you of all your sins and get all this stuff out of the way so you can get a prayer through. Right? right? That, that it's correct, whether you know, you're not sure about that. It's, it is correct. <laughs> Listen, if your only relationship with the Lord is just one of, I have to admit I was wrong again, your relationship is relatively uh, shallow. I would agree that whenever you're wrong, you should get right. But your relationship should progress past that. In other words, you should have a deeper relationship with the Lord, a walk with Him and a talk with Him to understand how He speaks to you when difficulty comes. John chapter number 11, if you would go there. John chapter number 11, I'm going to try, I've got notes and all that other kind of stuff, but I'm going to try as best I possibly can to sort of remember some of the stuff from the the passage there in the Bible. John chapter 11, one of the greatest Bible passages in there because it describes a man by the name of Lazarus. Lazarus was Jesus' friend. There's some interesting things in the passage. You know what's interesting about the Bible to me is sometimes the simplest of stories bear the deepest of truths. And sometimes if you just take the time to break that stuff down, you begin to look at it and go, wow, he just told me a relatively simple story. But man, if I could grasp the truth that's in this passage, I might have something that would help me not just in my relationship with him, but in my relationship with others. Let's face it, ladies and gentlemen, the Lord does like unity. And I realize that every one of us has had in our churches, we all have hemorrhoids in our churches, and I understand that kind of thing. I realize that they show up and they burn and they itch, and, you know, until you give them special treatment, the minute you give them special treatment, they leave, they don't say goodbye. I understand that. But excluding those individuals, they're in the Bible, so don't be nervous. They're called emrods. <laughs> and they're also in our independent Baptist churches. They're called people. That's in the original Greek. You have to go down to the trilateral root word of Hebrew to get that one. But isn't it interesting that in John chapter number 11, this is Jesus' friend. And if you'll remember Mary and Martha there, Martha was always cooking for Jesus. And Mary was always sitting at his feet, right? So with his close family friends. Do you know what I find, first of all, in that passage, it's interesting? Lazarus is sick, and then Lazarus is going to die. And those are three people that really matter to the Lord. The first thing that I'd like to call to your attention is, is that, yes, bad things happen to the people that he loves. You get to read in that passage right there. You know what you find out? You find out the Bible says that when he is groaning and he's in travail and when he's bothered about what's going on in that thing, uh, we'll get to it in just a little while. You know what the Bible says? Oh, how he loved him. Jesus had friends, but just because you're Jesus' friend, it doesn't make you immune to trouble. So in the passage right here, we find out that Jesus is here. We have two of the women that start off the passage, and Lazarus is there, and they're going to that. I think it's also interesting, secondly, if I could say this before I get into the meat of the passage, it's interesting that sometimes someone else's trouble will cause us to pray. Sometimes, you know what, people get in trouble and we get on what used to be called the widow's wheel, the widow's wheel. You would pick up the phone and call the widows in the church and they would start praying. In our church, we called it a prayer chain. We're a little bit larger now, it's harder to do than we used to, but you would call individuals that would pray. I find it interesting that sometimes, you know, I got a call today on the way up here or a text today on the way up here. Somebody was involved in a pretty bad accident and preacher, would you please pray about so on, so on, so forth because it's not going well. Yesterday I got, a, or I guess it was Saturday. I got a call about a friend of ours down in, uh, down in uh, North Carolina that was in a motorcycle accident. As a matter of fact, Brother Lentz's brother, Jerry, was involved in a bad accident. Preacher, could you please pray? It's interesting sometimes when people get into trouble, it reminds us of the necessity of prayer. Do they call you to pray? See, there's another side to that because you kind of wonder sometimes if they're not calling me to pray, I wonder why. Well, maybe it's because they don't know that you pray. 
When was the last time you stood up in a testimony service and said, hey, I just want to praise the Lord. He answered my prayer. You know, I got the cat I've always wanted or whatever it might be. And he got run over. That was the, I'm, 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 I mean, you got the cat, not that he got run over. But, you know, or, or something happened. But when was the last time you testified that God was real to you? Have you ever prayed? like before a revival meeting and ask the Lord to give you something in the revival meeting and the Lord gets up and a message gets preached or a song gets sung and you're thinking, how did he know that? And the Lord said, I've heard your prayer. It's a blessing when those things occur to you. So I'd just like to say, second of all, as you're getting started, that guess what's happened? Intercessory prayer is what it's called. That's just fancy words for saying, pray on the behalf of somebody else. There's nothing like that can happen. I've been in many a hospital room at many a time when people are in terrible trouble and they're having problems and other people are out in the waiting room praying. You all remember the story about Billy and Johnny and them praying and those kinds of things. And so when you begin to think about that stuff, you begin to realize, hey, listen, all of a sudden my problems, my troubles, my difficulties, whatever they may be or however large they might be, they seem to be reduced because guess what happens? Lazarus is sick. And he needs somebody to do something more than just talk about him. He needs to talk to somebody that can do something to help him. So Martha sends off an Instagram, a Snapchat, a TikTok, or a Facebook post or something like that, some kind of new way to get a hold of Jesus. I find it interesting you can't get a hold of him that way. We spend so much time talking to each other that way. I guess we kind of think that that's how Jesus answers us. But that's a whole other message. I don't want to put you under conviction tonight and make you think that because you have that, that you can't have revival tonight. But I would like to say for the next four days, if you could shut that thing off, God might do something for you this week. <clears throat> Some of you are already Jones and you look like a crackhead that's going to miss your next fix. You're like, I can't, I can't shut that off. Why? Because you're so popular. But if you were in the hospital, would you appreciate it if somebody shut it off so that they could pray for you? Maybe, I don't know. What would you think about that? But at any rate, Jesus is away with the boys over there. And they're out there doing their ministry and they're preaching and doing all the other stuff. And the Bible says, hey, I got a message on the hot wire here to the, uh, to the boys. And he says, uh, Lazarus is sick, they say to him. And he said, yeah, he's uh, sick. And then a little later on, the Lord says to him, he says, uh, Lazarus is sleeping. And the boys thinking carnally, you know what they think to themselves? They say, well, if he's sleeping, that's a good thing. I mean, who doesn't like to sleep? I mean, even bears like to sleep. And man, can they sleep for a long time. You know, sleep is one of the escapes, especially for a Christian. Everybody needs sleep. You know, one of the greatest things that they used back in the old days in the CIA handbook and some of the other stuff that we used to have to study and all that. You know, one of the first, first methods of torture? Sleep deprivation. You keep a person up a long period of time and then guess what winds up happening to them? They wind up hallucinating and they wind up telling you things that they wouldn't tell you otherwise. And in the old days when they had the Bataan death march, they'd have individuals come out there and they'd be marching them sometimes 20 miles, sometimes 25 miles, no clothes, no blanket, no food, no water, just marching them in that death march. And they'd fall down. They'd get to the point they couldn't go any further. They'd fall down on their knees and the Japanese soldier would come up to them and he'd say, you lay down and sleepy for a long, long time. And if they fell asleep right there or went unconscious, they'd shoot them and then move on. You'd hear the gunfire going off at the end of the column. Sleep is a restful time for you. Sleep is a time of escape for you. Sleep is something that everybody needs. I don't know why God made you that way except to say God had mercy on you because you can't stay awake all the time and deal with all the stuff going on all the time without getting a break from it. You don't need alcohol and pills. You don't need all the other addictions that you have. You know what you need? Sometimes you just need a good nap. You say, oh, preacher, who needs a nap and all that? I don't know. Jesus needed a nap a couple of times. He's over there in a bad storm going on over there, and he's asleep on a pile of dead fish in the back of the thing. That storm's going on. Imagine this now. The turmoil of that storm is so bad that the apostles are worried about drowning in Jesus' sleep. You ever think about that? You know there's a deep truth in that? You say, what's the deep truth? Stay awake in the prayer meeting. You might be able to sleep in the storm. They come to him and say, Lord, care us not that we perish. I think the Lord woke up and the first thing he said to them was, you don't care, I need to take a nap. <laughs> Everybody needs a nap every now and then. Naps just make things better. Sometimes you get you 20 or 30 minutes of sleep, it kind of changes the view of everything, doesn't it? 
you get your sleep trouble, you get to having problems and difficulties and too much caffeine and too many Red Bulls and too many, too many cups of coffee and too many uh, mellow yellows or what there's out there now that's jacked up full of caffeine. And then you stay buzzing and then you wonder when you lay down at night you can't sleep and then before long you're crazy and they want to go throw you in a, a nut house somewhere in a straight jacket because you feel like your whole head's just about to come off. It's because you hadn't had any sleep. You need some sleep. And the Lord says he sleeps. And they say, well, that's a good thing, Lord. I mean, good night, man. You can't blame the guy for sleeping. And the Lord said, no, he's dead. Can you imagine that? And the Lord goes on in that statement. Look there, in the old Schofield Bible, it's on the left-hand page. It'll be the right-hand column. The Lord said, His dad, he's dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. Isn't that what it says? I'm glad I wasn't there. Now, wait a minute, Lord. I thought you're walking with me and talking with me and spending time with me. And, and, and you're supposed to always be there for every problem and every difficulty and everything that I got going on. Lazarus, he says in the passage, your friend is sick. And the Lord said, yeah, he's pretty sick. Yeah, I heard to hear, hear about that. Oh, Lord, uh, we could take off down there and just take a couple of days to get there. Lord said, no, uh, we got some things to do, place to go, people to see. Uh, you know, had, by the way, he's sleep. Well, okay, good. He's, he's sick, so he's sleeping. No, he's dead. And I'm glad for your sakes I was not there. But you don't think God sees things differently than we do, ladies and gentlemen? You don't think God sees things and thinks things. His thoughts are above our thoughts and his ways are above our ways. You ever think about the situation like that? Boy, I mean, the dark days of death come and sometimes they come and you don't expect it. That big old boy right there and his wife just a few years ago get a phone call one afternoon and the boy that they raised, the boy that she birthed, the boy that they've had and come up, came up in the church, used to stand in the pulpit in a little old black suit and a little black hat, stand there with the Bible in there and thump the Bible. Military boy. Worked out over in Gitmo, honor and discharge, working for the sheriff's office, got his whole life ahead of him, whole career ahead of him. And all of a sudden, the telephone rings. He's over at my house doing some work for me. And he's over at the house, and I happen to be out of town. And they pick up the phone, and they call, and they say, Preacher? And I said, Yeah. Michael's gone. What? We can't find Roger. I said, I know where he's at. He's in my house. He's doing some work for me. What do you reckon we should do? I said, well, go over there. For the Lord's sake, don't call him. I said, go over there and get him. And then we start throwing stuff and getting stuff ready. Can you imagine if I'd have said, and I'm glad for your sakes, I wasn't there? Could you imagine the response of somebody I've known for now over 30 years? Can you imagine the response? My boy's dead and you're glad? That's the Lord's response. Look at it. It's in the passage. He tells the boys. That's, he thinks, man, if that's his friends. Good night, man. If he thinks that about his friends, what do he think about his enemies? He calls him friend. He said, yeah, that's, that's my friend. Yeah. I'm glad for your sakes I wasn't there. I know. He's, you see what? You look in that passage. You know what? The Lord knew exactly when he died. The Lord knew he was gone. Well, nobody told him. Then they came to tell him. And he said, no, he's asleep. He's He's dead. He's gone on. And for your sake. And they said, well, Lord, would you like to go on down there? He said, no, we got a little bit more to go. And he said, well, Lord, I mean, good night, man. I mean, don't you think you ought? I mean, listen, here's loving Jesus. He don't even attend the funeral. Edinburgh waits four days before he even shows back up. Now, you understand all the stuff. I'm sure your pastor's taught you all the stuff to make sure they don't misunderstand it. I'm trying to get you to see another side of Jesus. Don't you ever stop to think for one minute that just because Jesus wasn't there when a tragedy occurred, that he doesn't know what's going on and that he's not aware of what you need. Don't you ever let anybody convince you that just because at that particular moment, like Martha's fixing to say to him, that Jesus didn't do what you thought he should do, that he's forgotten who you are and what you need. But sometimes you know what he says? Yeah, he's gone. And so the Lord waits a couple of days. The Lord never gets in a hurry. He never runs. I never find one place in that Bible. I've read it through a time or two, once or twice anyway. I look through there. I never find the Lord running to anything. I mean, you find the apostles out in trouble, and here comes the Lord walking on the sea. 
I mean, you ever been like that where you need the Lord to do something for you now and it's kind of like he's walking on the sea. You know what's even stranger about that? You lead the parallel passage to that thing. The Lord goes out there, the Bible said, and he would have passed them by. Oh, yeah, man, boy, that's really bad. Peter, quit your cussing, man. I mean, you know, just row against the wind. Man, good night. Man, you got a mouth like the bottom of an ashtray, boy. I mean, cut it out, Peter. I mean, good night. And he would have passed by, but one of them cried out. That's the Lord. He's like, y'all look like you're doing pretty good to me. You ever been that way? You ever need the Lord to do something? I mean, right now, this minute, this instant, and he ain't there. I've stood over many a hospital bed in my previous job and what I do now, I've stood over many a hospital bed and watched people step from this life to the next. I've watched them as they go from this life to the next and many times there's no explanation for it. It's just a simple tragedy. That's all it is. The doctors have done everything they can and the doctor looks up over that mask and looks you in the eyes like that and you see that look and you know exactly what he's thinking. And you can pray and you can pray and you can pray and off he goes. I watched my friend Monroe. He's got ready to come to that particular time and he was dying with all the virus stuff and all that going on. Healthy as a stinking horse and big as the side of a mountain and he's over there shriveled up like a little old prune man just laying there in that bed man and and he'd call us in there and get all the stuff took off of him and I got him unhooked with all the stuff and the the fellow told me, he said, now when we pull him loose here, probably not going to be very long. And got the family, got him gathered in there. And I got down on my knees and got him by that old cold hand of blood and quit pumping, man. And I'm holding that hand I had shook, I don't know how many times, hundreds of times. And I got down there and I started to pray. I come to the end of that prayer and it ain't even a minute later. The prayer didn't change a thing. He slipped right out of this life and right on into the next one. You say, well, preacher, where was God? He was right there. He was right there watching the whole thing. I watched my dad when my dad passed away. He was younger than I am now at 64 years of age. I watched him when he gathered that breath and then it'd go out and then he'd grab that breath and then it'd go out and sometimes it'd go 15 seconds, 20 seconds and then he'd grab a breath like that and it'd go down. Man, it looked like a fish laying up there trying to breathe and you think he's gone and then all of a sudden he'd grab that breath and stuff like that and watch my mama lay there across his chest there and cry and pray and that kind of a thing. And I prayed and I watched him as he grabbed that last breath and then hear that old sound that comes out. Man, I mean like the rattle of bones coming out and just, and you know that's the last one, boy. And pray and pray and pray and pray. I told a fellow one time, he said, man, I understand your daddy's been really sick. I said, yeah, he's been really sick. He said, well, how's he doing now? I said, oh, he's completely healed. He said, you're kidding me. I said, no, man, a miraculous thing, just miraculous, unbelievable. He is completely well. He said, he was really sick. Wasn't he sick to die? And he, I said, oh, yeah, he did die, <laughs> but he's well now. Amen. You say, who was that? Oh, he was a preacher, given up a base, professional baseball career and married my mama and had a few kids and lived his whole life for the Lord Jesus Christ and died at 64. Our friend Jim Lentz, I was there, 54 years of age. Got him messed up in Agent Orange over in Vietnam. Was over in Vietnam, was lost. Never was saved until he got back over on this side of the world. Over there could have gotten killed I don't know how many times. And he winds up over there and he gets saved. He goes to Bible school, breaks his pelvis, gets finished with Bible school. Goes up, take a church in Dyersburg, Tennessee. They run him off from up there. Starts a church in a little old town called Valdez, North Carolina. And then after he gets done up there in North Carolina, I get a phone call one day. Hey, P. I said, what's the matter, man? He said, I'm going to the hospital. Cheryl called me. I get there, spend a few days with him. We take him over to the hospital. I'll never forget. We took him to this house, this hospice house. I'll never forget it. He looked at me and took him off the ambulance. I rode with him in the back of the ambulance. He was kind of funny about that stuff. And I rode with him in the ambulance and got off of that. And he looked at the place when we got him in there. It's a nice place, man. It was pretty. It's like this place. Just painted walls and pretty curtains and stuff. And Here's my friend laying there, man, and I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, and he looked at me and he said, this is where they take you to die. And I said, well, uh, he said, don't lie to me. I said, okay. I said, but you don't have to die here. <laughs> he said, yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, we spent a couple of days there a couple of nights there. I won't go into details. The message will be way too long. I got to get to the end of it here. But I prayed and prayed and he prayed and prayed. And we had some time there together, early morning hours and different things like that. And he left from this life and right on into the next one. Where was God? He's right there. He's right there. He's watching the whole thing. God hadn't deserted anybody. He just said, 
It's his time. He's going now. Well, Lord, I mean, he's done nothing wrong. He's a great preacher, probably the greatest preacher in America that there is. That guy, what are you taking him for? Because I want to. I've watched little babies pass away. I've watched little babies. I watched one last 28 days with his guts on the outside. Watched them they do that surgery and put the ECMO thing on the outside of the body and watch that thing twist and turn that blood and stuff on that little bitty baby. Them little bitty tiny hands up there just every now and then would just move like just little things. Little toes wiggle like little piggies. You know how they do little toes like that. Every now and then I'd blink just a little bit like that. And you'd, you'd think, oh, it must be, must be working. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be okay. And put a Bible up there on the, on the bed and get down there and pray and pray with the family and fast and pray and fast and pray. 28 days, 28 days. And they walk in one day and say, Preacher, can you come back here, please? I said, sure. I come rushing back there. I'm hoping for good news. And they said, Preacher, there's nothing we can do. Out comes the plug and the machine. That little baby. Gone. Just like that. Preacher, why are you doing like that? Well, can you imagine, man? Those girls are heartbroken, man. Their heart is broken like an egg under a giant's heel, man. Where was the Lord when my loved one died? Where was the Lord when my marriage broke up? Where was the Lord when the trouble and the problems and the difficulty came? I mean, I thought he was the deliverer of all trouble. Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad. For your sakes, I wasn't there. Boy, what a sermon. That's like the passage where the boy comes over there to the Lord. He said, Lord says, would you like to follow me? And he said, sure, Lord, I'd like to follow you. He said, okay, come on, let's go. And he says, I need to go back and talk to my daddy. You know what the Lord said? Let the dead bury the dead. My aching back, boy, where I'm from down south, about 900 miles south of here. At least that's what the plain thing said. About 900 miles. You know what? They'd tar and feather you for that. You put God ahead of the, your family? You must be insane, man. Let the dead bury the dead. I don't know if his daddy just died or he was waiting on him to die. But what a thing for a preacher to say. The Lord said, let the dead bury the dead. It'll take care of itself. Well, that's kind of hard, ain't it? Kind of difficult, ain't it? Well, the Lord comes along there and he says, okay, boys, well, let's go on back down there to town and let's see how things are going. Let's check on the girls, you know. And he takes off down there and starts walking. And before long, they find out he's on the way down there. And Martha, being the boldest of the bunch, the most most boisterous of the bunch and, and the biggest mouth of the bunch, she goes running down there and she meets the Lord face to face. I mean, falls up right in his face. Follow it there in the passage. You'll see it. And you know what she does? She runs up there to the Lord and she doesn't say, hey, Jesus, how you doing? Boy, it sure is good to see us. Sure, I'm glad you're here. Boy, remember the time we had this and that and the other and all? She went running up to him and she said, Lazarus is dead and if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. Well, easy there, sister. (laughs) But the Lord doesn't even get on to her. He said, he'll live again in the resurrection. You know what she says? Yeah, I know more Bible than you do. I know in the resurrection he'll come up. And the Lord then turns around and he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he that cometh unto me, I don't know why he's cast out. He's quoting scripture to her. And Martha's in a huff, man. And the Lord's looking around. There's somebody missing there. Somebody that's always, when Jesus is around, he's always there, you know. But she's not there. And he says to Martha, he says, where's your sister? And she said, Mary, well, God only knows. Excuse me, Jesus whatever you are. You know where she is better than I know where she is. Martha doesn't get her prayer answered. You ever come at God that way? You ever realize that when the Lord goes over there and messes with a man by the name of Job, it was God that brought Job to the devil's attention? Do you ever realize he said to the devil, you ever considered my servant Job a righteous man that escheweth, shoves away, pushes away, uh, uh, gets away from evil, a righteous man and escheweth evil? You know what Job says? Yeah, you keep a hedge of protection around him. You let me get at him. And the Lord said, okay, go ahead and get at him. 
And in his permissive will, he lets him go over there. You know what he does? He said, hey man, the Chaldeans came down, took all their lambs and their sheep and stuff. Hey man, the, the, the other group of individuals came down there and the, 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 uh, I can't remember the name of the other one to come down and they done took off all the, the camels and stuff like that. And then he said, okay, and the servants and I alone have escaped. And then a third one comes in and says, your kids were down there having a birthday party. All 10 of them are down there and a great wind came up and killed all the kids. My goodness, man. I mean, the Lord did that. He allowed Satan to do that. Let me tell you something about the Lord, and let me tell you a good way to put the devil to bed if he ever messes with you that way. You know what the devil expected? The devil expected Job to say, why'd you take my material possessions, and why'd you take the things I worked so hard to get, and why'd you wind up killing all my kids, and you should have done this, and you should have done that. You know what Job said? Naked I came into the world, and naked I shall leave. Blessed be the name of the God, the name of the Lord. And the Bible says, and he fell on his face, and he worshiped. Man, you talk about high cotton, man. I mean, you talk about out there. You know what happens whenever you say why? You're saying exactly what the devil wants you to say. When you're saying why'd that happen and why'd this happen and why'd that happen? You want to put the devil to bed? Say, blessed be the name of the Lord. All things work together for good to them that love God, them that are called according to his purpose. I don't understand it and I don't get it, but if God can get glory out of it, then so be it. If he chose me to be the one that he's going to use as an example, then so be it. Let her rip tater chip. Boy, that'll irritate the devil and put him to bed so fast he'll get off your back. He said, man, I can't make no hay with him. But boy, you let him drain your bank account or let him take your health away or let him bust up your boyfriend-girlfriend relationship or, or tear up your wife or tear up your finances. And God, why'd you do this to me? And the devil said, yeah, why did he do that to you? Yeah, I go to church and I read my Bible and I pray and I study and I've been in Bible school and I preach where I can and witness to who I can. I use my thing and this is what I get? The devil said, yeah, yeah. That's, he's not a fair master, is he? Look how he takes care of you. I mean, that ain't fair. Why don't he happen, let that happen to some bad person? Uh, surely it shouldn't happen to you, not Job. You got all the way down to the end of that thing because Job's considered a righteous man, more righteous, I think, than the Apostle Paul. But you get down to the end of that thing and eventually you find out there's a little bit of self-righteousness, a little bit of pride there. But my goodness, you see what, how long it is? Seven days that boy sat on the ground and seven days he kept his mouth shut and those three boys, those miserable comforters, that's not the kind of comforter you want on a cold winter night up here in South Leon. Miserable comforters, kind of got holes in it. <laughs> That's funny. Y'all do laugh up here, don't you? <laughs> you know what happens? Those seven days, those boys work on him and work on him and work on him and work on him until he finally breaks under the pressure. But man, what a testimony. You know what? Martha's up there and doing just what we do. Lord, if you'd have been here, if you'd have done it like I thought it ought to be done. You know what he says earlier in the passage? You know why Lazarus is dead? Read it in the passage. You know what he says? So that God could be glorified. Who would think that God could be glorified in a death? <laughs> it don't even make sense, does it? Well, they come along there and then all of a sudden, where's your sister? And Martha comes in and says, yeah, Jesus is looking for you again. I guess because you chose the better part again. You're his little special child again. I can't cook enough biscuits for him or do nothing. He don't appreciate me. He just wants to see you again the Bible says when she heard that, that's Mary, she went running over there. But she approaches him differently. But she says the same thing. It's in the passage. She gets down there and she falls at the feet of Jesus. And you know what she says when she's down there? She said, Lord, if you'd have been here, I know he wouldn't have gone. But she doesn't say it like if you'd have been here, this is your fault. She's saying, I know what would have happened. And she's in kind of saying indirectly, but I'm glad you're here now. Because it hurts. And the Lord said, where's he at? You know what her first response is? Lord, he's been dead four days. And he stinks. Now think about that for a minute. Lord, he's been dead for four days. See, in her mind, she's thinking he just wants to go by and see the corpse. He just wants to go by and pay his respects. They done put him in the ground. They've already had the funeral service. They've already done all that. We know that he is in a tomb with the, with the, with the uh, rock over the front of the door of the temple, I mean of the tomb, right? You with me? Yeah. 
And so, so you know, it's like, Lord, you, you, don't, you don't want to go in there now. I mean, it's bad. And the Lord said, where is he? And they began to go over that way. You know what they think they're going to? They think they're going to a funeral service and going back into town. The Lord says, where is he at? He's going to the sepulcher. And they get over there to the sepulcher and stuff like that. And Mary, by now, is really crying and weeping. And the Lord begins to cry. Don't you find that? I think it's in John eleven thirty-five, isn't it? Isn't that where it is? I think the verse is, if I remember it correctly, it's one of the few I've memorized in the Bible. I think it says, Jesus wept. I know that's a hard one to memorize, but that's a... That's an important, his tears mingled with Mary's tears. She has something in common. Boy, sure I'm glad I have a, a great high priest who can't be touched with the feelings of my infirmity, who can be touched with the feelings of my infirmities. Boy, sure I'm glad he can cry when I cry. You don't think the Lord hurts? You think he's just stoic no matter what happens to you? You don't think he sees and hears your tears and knows your heartache? Oh, he knows, man. Yes, sir, he knows. You know what he does with your tears? You may tell you about your tears. You read the book of Psalm. There's an odd passage in there. You know what he says? He says your tears mean so much to him that he sends an angel down here to collect those tears and put them in a bottle. That's pretty amazing. You get up there to heaven... And here is this whole apothecary up there and all these curios with all these little jars up there with tears in them. The bigger the jar, the more the tears. Why would he do that? Oh, remember Anna when we were upset about so-and-so and such-and-such and all? Yeah, I saved that. I got it right here. That was a special time, wasn't it? No, it hurt. Special, wasn't it? Because me and you, we got to mingle our tears together and have a relationship that other people didn't know about. And you just say, yes, sir, Lord, that's, man, that was so good. And he puts it on the bottom there. Hey, Sophia, hey, look, at, remember this? <laughs> this is when you were a little thing, man, here. Do you remember this time? Oh, yeah, Lord, I, I remember that. I was bawling and squalling and crying. and Lord, I really, I, it meant so much to me. I kept it. I, I kept it as a memory. I, Lord, I didn't think you forgot things. Well, I know, but there's just some things that are special to me. I, I just keep your tears in a bottle. It's time that we've cried together. Oh, you never cried with the Lord before? I mean, you never spilled your tears on your pillow, pouring tears, crying so hard they're running in your ears. I watched my wife when she was going through that stuff. Oh, it was so bad. We don't say much about it. It was horrible. They burnt her as red as those pews. And she would lay and just just tremble. She couldn't stop shaking. And tears quit, no, no sobbing, no noise out, just tears just pouring and, and just pouring. And she'd try to wipe them out of her ears and I'd try to wipe them and then she'd throw up and she'd cry. And I'm so sorry, and I'm so sorry, and I'm so sorry. And in my mind's eye, I'd see the Lord down there with one of his angels going, let me get that, let me get that. And we'd cry together. I remember I got sick one time and we went to see the doctor and I had all kind of blood and urine samples and all stuff. You couldn't run it through the deal. and The strap on my carry-on thing broke and it fell out onto the floor. I was real weak and real emaciated back then and I, I, I literally, I sat down in the middle of the floor and started crying like a little baby. <laughs> so tore up, man. And my poor old wife, she just sat down next to me. We look like two drug addicts in the middle of the airport up in Chicago. We're just, ah, you know. I mean, we're just crying. People are walking by like, don't touch them. They're drug addicts. They're drug addicts. <laughs> Something's wrong with them. <laughs> they smell like urine. I don't know what that is, man. I don't stay away from, you know. We just sat there and all that kind of stuff and eventually gathered up what we could and that kind of a deal. But you know what's interesting is the Bible said that Jesus wept. And the people there saw that he loved them. 
You say, well, that isn't really what happened. Oh, don't be so clinical with your life all the time. People are emotional beings. And guess what? The strongest of the strong can be broken down into tears and weep and cry. And so important that the Lord gathers them up. And he begins to weep and he begins to cry. And Mary begins to weep and to cry. And so the Lord stands up and he prays. And he said, uh, I can't see him from here. And they said, uh, Lord, he's in the sepulcher. And the Lord said, okay. Now here for me is where the story gets unbelievably interesting. Because we've gone from him being kind of cold and crass to being soft and sweet. He is right there with them. He's got a crowd. What a way to draw a crowd at a funeral. And he's there at the sepulcher. You know what he says? He says, uh, y'all, he's a southern Jesus. Y'all, he says, uh, I need to see Lazarus. Lord, there's something in the way. Watch carefully. He said, y'all roll the stone away. That's the living Bible rendition. But he tells the people to get the stone out of the way. Can I say this? We're coming to a close. This is real important. Sometimes before Jesus does what needs to be done in the darkest part of your life, you have to get what's between you and Him out of the way. And He has the power to do it himself. But he wants to see you make the effort to get it out of the way to see how bad you really want the help. It's not because he doesn't have the power to resurrect Lazarus. not because he doesn't have the power to be able to take the molecular structure of Lazarus and bring him right through, line it up with the molecular structure of that rock and literally levitate him straight through that rock. You say, how do you know that? He walked through walls. He walked through doors. He can certainly do that. You know what he's doing? He's instructing those people. And he's saying, hey, there's something between me and Lazarus. First, I'd like to say this. I don't want to be that something. I don't want to be the stone between someone else, Jesus helping somebody else because I'm in their way. Because of my bad attitude or my bad way of living. But not only that, sometimes... We put walls up. And the Lord said, I'd love to help you, but until you get that thing out of the way, I'm not going to help you. And oh, we can get mad at God for not helping us, but he just simply said, it comes at a cost. Get the stone out of the way. I don't know what the stone is. Sometimes it can be an individual thing. You know, it can be an unforgiving spirit. Did you know that? Second Corinthians chapter number 2, we know what the Bible teaches there, that we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. Why? Because the Bible teaches you there. He says, to whom you forgive, I forgive also anything, lest Satan should get an advantage of you. But sometimes, you know what? Your stone in your life is you don't forgive yourself of a past life or past sins and past mistakes and past things. You know what that does? It prevents Jesus from doing a great work inside. But guess what it does? It also seals off you from the sunlight. And things begin to stink. And they curdle and they smell. And before long, boy, the stench of death is there and your spiritual life can be in a tomb. And he's just asking you for a revival. You know what you got to do? Get it out of the way. Watch, secondly. They go move the stone out of the way. And then the Lord calls Lazarus. Now, it's a joke, but it's not a joke. The Lord called Lazarus because if he didn't call Lazarus specifically, it would have been a resurrection and everybody would have come out of the tomb. It's not a general resurrection. It's an individual resurrection. And it's done for specifically for the purpose of resurrecting Lazarus. And so he calls Lazarus out of the tomb. But it's interesting to me that Lazarus comes out still bound and still blind. Think about it. The Bible says that he came out and he was still wrapped in his grave clothes. This is where it gets difficult. Now, the Lord could have the grave clothes dropped off of him, right? It's interesting he doesn't. 
Isn't it interesting that he doesn't do that? So we know that Lazarus doesn't walk out under his own power. So we know that it's supernatural. So literally Lazarus levitates out of the tomb and Lazarus is now standing there. He can't speak. He can't hear. He can't see. He's bound up. He can't walk. He can't talk. He can't move. He can't do anything. And the Lord doesn't say, you know, Lazarus be free. You know what the Lord says? He said, loose him. Secondly, I not only don't want to be the stone in the way of somebody getting help, I don't want to be the one that keeps people bound up because I refuse to let them go. The Lord says to the people, y'all turn him loose. I have a note in my Bible, I think it's in that same passage, if I remember right, it's down on the bottom part of the margin there, and it said, if... The Lord asked you to loose them and let them go. Could you allow those that have been resurrected to go? Would you let them go? I mean, even if they had done you wrong. You know, what I've seen even in Christian circles sometimes is, is that we don't mind somebody being out of the tomb, but we don't want to let them loose. We keep a chain on them. We won't forgive them. We won't let bygones be bygones. We won't let the past be the past. Sometimes it's bitterness that binds us. The root of bitterness begins to grow up because we don't like what's happened in our life. And then all of a sudden those vines begin to entangle us. And before long we can't walk. And before long we can't move our hands. And before long we can't talk. And we can't see. And the only difference in us is being in the tomb and being out of the tomb is that we're just simply alive outside the tomb but we're still bound up because we're bitter. Because God didn't show up when he should have showed up. You know, one of the things that happens here in this particular passage is, yes, God did a great miracle, but oftentimes when God does a great miracle, we miss the personal steps along the way. Let me just reiterate a couple of things. Number one, when you hurt, God does hurt. Don't ever think that he does not empathize and sympathize with your problems and with your troubles. Number two, sometimes the reason God hasn't done things in our life is because we have things preventing Him from getting in those dark parts in our heart. And we really don't want Him in those rooms. Sometimes the Lord would open up that light and say, Hey, Lazarus, come out, but leave some of that other stuff behind. (laughs) No, Lord, I don't want to do that. Those things done in secret are mine, and those things in dark places, they're mine. And I don't want you knowing about it. I don't want anybody knowing about it. The Lord said, But there's so much I could do with you. Yeah, but Lord, I I can't let that go. And the Lord said, But they're binding you up. They're holding you up. They're backing. they're, They're keeping you from doing what I need you to do. And you know what you won't do? You won't even take the windings off yourself. Lastly, can I say this, hey, maybe the Lord's let somebody out that you know, but you got them bound up yourself, and the Lord said, why don't you let them go? I let you go. I have a passage in my Bible, it was Mark, the Lord gave it to me the day I walked away from the sheriff's office in Isaiah chapter number 61, as part of that verse in chapter number 1, you know what he says? He said, you're to preach to set the captives free, to enjoy the same freedom that I gave you, you got to learn to let people go, even when they do you wrong or when they offend you or when they do something that you don't understand. The Lord said you got to learn to let them go or you'll have a lot of Lazaruses in your life. Did you ever think about that, that Lazarus was simply there to be resurrected so God could get glory, but you can see where Martha learned a lesson and Mary learned a lesson and the people learned a lesson and we can learn a lesson if we're willing To learn the lesson. Preacher, what's the lesson? (laughs) Just because everybody thinks that God wasn't there whenever you went through what you went through. Don't you let anybody tell you he's not aware of every single thing that you went through. And one day, you know what will happen? You'll be up there and the Lord will show you the reasons. And the hurt and the pain that you went through. The difficulties and the problems you went through. And the Lord will say to you, that was for my glory. And you'll say, oh, Lord, it hurt so bad. I know. But it was for my glory. And when you see his glory, you know what you'll say. Lord, I'm glad you weren't there. I'm glad you didn't prevent that from happening. Lord, I never realized I thought I had faith. 
But I never realized how small my faith was until something happened that I didn't understand. Hey, I don't know why we're starting there this night for this whole week that's coming up, but I want to say this to you. Some of you are going through things you don't understand and you're like Martha. But some of you need to cry like Mary. Some of you need to pour your heart out. Martha poured her heart out, but in an entirely different way. Lord, if you'd have been here. Mary's like, Lord, if you'd have been here. And her heart just broke, just like you'd crack an egg and that yoke comes pouring out. And man, when she started crying, it touched Jesus' heart. And he hurt because she hurt. Think about it. It's a different kind of a revival meeting, isn't it? To imagine that Jesus Christ says to you, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Cast your burdens, your cares upon me, because I care for you. Isn't that interesting? To not come to him as a sin forgiver, to not come to him as an ogre up there with a baseball bat with nails in it to beat me at the judgment seat or to, to be mad at me or to be angry, but to see him now sitting up there in heaven and saying, you have a problem? Come here, like Mary. Gather around my feet. I'll shed my tears with your tears. We'll mingle them together. I'll put them up in a bottle so you can remember them, and we'll talk about this later. Oh, it'll be great days. You say, why? Because you learn things about God in trouble that other people never even understand. And God gives you something sweet at the end of that. It'll be a resurrection. Oh, it may not be a physical resurrection. But it'll be a resurrection of your spiritual life. It'll be a deeper walk than you could ever possibly imagine. But oh, the hurt and the pain. I wish it was indifferent. They get ready to close here. The Apostle Paul says this. He said, man, I got caught up to the heaven. He gets through there in 2 Corinthians chapter number 11 and he runs down through all the things that he's been through and all the beatings and all the things that uh, had come upon him. Uh, And he does that in the last eight or ten verses there of chapter number 11. He steps over in chapter number 12 and he gives almost an entire chapter to one little thorn that he got from the Lord. The rest of the stuff was given to him because of other people. Beaten a day and a night in the deep and shipwrecked and hunger and fastings often and nakedness and in peril and the care of all the churches and all that. He steps over in chapter 12 and he said, boy, I knew a man in the body, out of the body, I cannot tell. Called it to the third heaven. And he began, and the Lord shoved that thorn down and said, easy now. He said, well, I beheld it. He said, easy now. He said, well, I'm not allowed to talk about it. But he said, with that revelation, the Lord gave me a thorn, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Now listen, and I'm done. And I besought the Lord thrice. And asked him to take that thorn out. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for thee. And, Paul, and he says to Paul, when you're weak, I'm strong. So you know what Paul's response was? Therefore I glory in tribulation and in infirmity for his sake. Because when I'm weak, he's strong. He gets magnified in my weakness. And the Lord looks down there and says, boy, Paul, I knew you were my friend. How about that devil? The devil said, I'll stick the thorn in a little further. He said, go ahead, he ain't budging. And Paul said, I glory in tribulation and in infirmities. They're a necessity. The power of his resurrection is upon me for the fellowship of his sufferings. A lot of tears. A lot of tears. A lot of power. But more than that, a lot of pleasing the Lord. Are you pleasing to the Lord tonight? I don't know. I don't know what you're going through. Have no idea. Got no idea why in a cat here, the Lord, to start off a revival meeting with such a solemn kind of a message. <laughs> but I believe that's what he has. Heads are bowed, knives are closed. Your